0: Time. Thank you for sharing that story with us About Klaus Kinski and the pies
1: It's unacceptable
0: Unacceptable pies
1: no in my KK forest.
0: And now stay tuned for the Living Writers Program Coming to you
1: K-K.
0: Right now on WCBN FM Ann Arbor Okay
1: Let's go make a picture On the island of Stromboli Ingrid Bergman Ingrid Bergman You're so pretty You'd make any mountain quiver You'd make fire fly from the crater Ingrid Bergman This old mountain, it's been waiting all its life for you to work it, for your hand to touch its hard rock. In Great Bergman, In Great Bergman, if you walk across my camera, I will find
0: Good afternoon. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today I'm lucky to be sitting in the studio with writer Peter Marcus. Uh, Peter, welcome. Welcome to The Living Writers oh, Show. Thanks for having to, me. In WCBN. It's great to be back. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, because you actually, we, we were talking a little bit, and you said you, you've actually been to the radio station uh, many guess, moons ago.
2: My guess is I've been in this <coughs> room at one point in my life when I was a student here early on. And probably got scared off uh, from By being a DJ, <laughs> and uh, then went about my way as a student.
0: Right, right. Listening. What, was, what, what, um, what, what, what era of, of University of Michigan time would this be?
2: This would be 1985 through '89. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. So it's been it's been a it's long been, time to come. God, I don't want to say circle. 20
2: years, but it's been a little bit over 20 years since I came here for the first time.
0: It's crazy how the years stack up, and it's like impossible numbers, right? It let's, Can't be. Let's not go there. <laughs> exactly. Well, we, well, there might be a few more numbers, just because this is like the biography part of the of the show, right? Well, um, well, let's talk about your books, Peter. Uh, Peter Marcus is the author of three books of short fictions: um, Good Brother, The Singing Fish, The Moon Is a Lighthouse. Um, uh, the singing fish and good brother are from Calamari Press, and um, let's see, we've got uh, North Michigan Press. Is the moon is a lighthouse?
2: New Mich- New Michigan new, Press. New Michigan. Yeah. Oh,
0: sorry. Okay, um, New not North. Okay, and forthcoming in 2008 from Dzanc Books. Um, it, Peter Marcus has a book uh, that's titled Bob or Man in Boat. That to look for uh forthcoming. Def- definitely. We're gonna talk a little bit about that book. Yeah, I'd we love don't to. We, uh a little bit later. Um uh Peter Marcus lives um lives in Trenton and, and teaches in Detroit and uh and he writes wherever he is, right? <laughs> I try.
2: I write in my car, I write uh in my basement, I write in my head. You know Yeah and Where I can. The
0: places in between. When I can. Yeah.
2: If I can.
0: And, and how about telling us, like, where where were you born, Peter? And, and what?
2: oh, geez, uh, we should bring my mother and father in <laughs> to, to tell us this. I was I, I was born in Mount Clemens, Michigan, which is north of Detroit, and I think we stayed there uh, very shortly, and then uh, we moved south of Detroit to Trenton, uh, where I now live. So I've kind of come full circle over the past forty. One years
0: Because you've, you've um, spent time in uh, Brooklyn and... and
2: uh, yeah, I um, went to school here, uh, spent some time while my girlfriend who I went to school with here was going to graduate school in Vermont. So we, I spent a couple summers there fishing and um, went to Montana briefly uh, to go to graduate school. Uh, that didn't work out. Uh, there's a story there. If you'd was like that, to go there,
0: was that for the writing program? For the then? writing was program, that, okay. Yeah, Is, was Richard Hugo still there? He,
2: no, was he was gone. But at that point, uh, as were a couple of the faculty members that I was hoping to study. Oh, okay. Uh, study with. Mm. So, uh, but that wasn't really what drew me back to the Midwest. Um, you know, I went out to Montana to to, to yeah, fish. kind of to fish. I had some romantic <laughs> notions of what the west was like and Mm -hmm. um, to be honest it really scared me more than anything else when I got out there Um, you know it was just it was too big Um, you know we my wife and I or my girlfriend at the time and I ended up having a hard time finding housing we ended up finding housing about 20 miles outside of Missoula up the side of a mountain in a very beautiful uh, cedar cabin um, with these two kind of Harvard law grad dropouts who were kind of back to the landers and it just freaked me out living in such isolation and um before we really dug in i said let's split and we headed back
0: back to uh, michigan Back to michigan
2: then. and then i eventually went to um uh, graduate school in Kalamazoo.
0: Oh, for, okay. And again, for Again writing
2: for the, the MFA thing, <laughs>
0: the, the,
2: the, is that what they call it? No, but, actually, okay. I don't know
0: why I just said that. That's uh, <laughs> trying to bring uh, yeah new language to <laughs> where there doesn't need to be any apparently, but, um, and so, so have you, had you always been writing? Cause I, I, I read some interviews online that, that you'd done, Peter, and you said uh, you don't have this like formative, the birth of writing in your life story.
2: But. Yeah, I wish I did, you know, where I, I did write a poem in the third grade, um, that was celebrated by my teacher, Mrs. Fortner, and I've since written a little, uh, homage to her. Um, that's going to be in this anthology that the University of Iowa is publishing for AWP this year. So it was kind of uh, an open letter to Mrs. Fortner about how she kind of formed me as a a dreamer, Um, much of which was kind of a fiction. But, um, you know, I wrote a a, a little book in third grade called How the Turtle Got Its Shell. And it was kind of a creation myth. And I I still have that book. And and uh, cherish it and bring it into classrooms where I do teaching with third graders. Um, And, you know, I realize how how bad of a story it it was uh, when I see what some of my students bring to the page as third graders. Um, But it was something that I was probably proud of and uh, still kind of am. Um, But, you know, I think when I to be honest i think i wanted to be a writer after i realized that i wasn't going to be a professional baseball player <laughs> um which kind of happened right as i was entering college oh okay uh-huh. okay
0: so it wasn't like a it wasn't your childhood dream it was something that you were good at and and you know had...
2: my mother told me a lot of good s- bedtime stories um uh, my sister was a reader my father uh you know was an english student um so there were you know there were my my sister turned me on to writers that i probably shouldn't have read at, at an early age like
0: who can you remember um, i
2: remember reading you know like the catcher in the rye and in, in probably seventh grade and my dad saying oh that's a book you should be reading in college and um you know kind of rambo a lot of the romantic mm. poets uh you know who tended to have tragic lives um my sister was drawn to them and kind of I became kind of a bridge to that kind of work early on. Did you
0: say she was several years older than you were? But you were very close. I've got two
2: sisters who I'm kind of the, um, you know, that late accident. Um, So they were, uh, I believe, nine and 11 years older than me.
0: Are you the only brother then? Mm, I'm the
2: only son, yeah.
0: The only son. This is interesting then, because when we hear some of your work that maybe, um, and it makes a complete, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of great that the first book that you you do have a first writing story. This turtle mm-hmm. creation sure. myth and the shell is wonderful, um, but and it actually um, is is something that it seems like your your current work is is concerned with as well, creating uh, sort of foundation I never, myths.
2: I never thought of that, but it's probably true.
0: It seems like well maybe we maybe we can talk about that a little bit yeah. a little bit later. Yeah, than, I'm always um,
2: looking forward to what people tell me my work is about, and uh, <laughs> I'm always you know learning a lot from what people tell me, uh, my stories. I'd like to are hear about. what
0: what not not um not anything that would take away what you think the the magic or the openness of the writing is, but I'd like to hear some of like what you're up to with the, the structures of it later too. Peter, sure. If that's um. Yeah, so don't let me forget okay. <laughs> to talk about that. Um, so, and you mentioned teaching in Detroit, and mm-hmm. you teach third graders. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure,
2: yeah. I've been um, teaching uh, in the inner city for, geez, I guess about 13 years now, pretty much ever since I got out of graduate school and um, left. You know, I was living in Ann Arbor, and then I came back. My, actually, my wife got pregnant, and we moved to Detroit, and uh soon after I was kind of the stay at home dad, and um, but while I was staying home and writing, I met up with uh, Terry Blackhawk who runs the Inside Out Literary arts project, and um, she wasn't really calling it that at the at the time, but I was doing some um, kind of Michigan writers in the school's gigs and uh, kind of hustling money uh, from schools, and then she was kind of getting some money at the time uh, to bring writers into um, a a number of schools in Detroit and so we kind of met up and uh, things kind of grew rapidly from there and Thirteen years later, we're still doing it and doing it quite uh, deeply. Yeah, it's expansive, isn't it? Like many
0: schools are involved. And do you do you work at one elementary school or how? And with in third grade. Yeah,
2: um, this past year I worked at a school called Go Lightly, and I worked with all the second and third graders, uh, which is really radical. And uh, you know, they they've really working with the young writers and hearing me tell them what you know can happen when you put the pen to the page has really opened up the page for me um, I wondered so, about that yeah, how they oh might yeah. have
0: like how they have you noticed that they've changed your writing because it's been 13 years now yeah. so that's oh greater. yeah
2: I mean i I'm completely I mean I think my DNA has been altered since you know when I was in graduate school um you know or writing my first stories here in workshop I mean I'm ve- I i don't know that person anymore and I know that a lot of it had to do with teaching kids and then having kids of my own um, that was a huge awakening in terms of you know what language when you're relearning or learning language for the first time as I was when my daughter was learning how to speak that really changed how I learned how to speak and treat language and, um, and of course how it's linked with per- perception and um that was that really made me into the writer that has written these particular books these
0: books and um and it's i think in in the moon is a lighthouse in the back you say um thank you to my children for showing me where to look
2: yeah and okay. how to see and yeah. how to see yeah.
0: okay yeah. um and are these so the books that i have um peter here like are these are, do you have other books besides these or or these or the, this this is the the first published writing in the book,
2: book yeah form. there is a first um chat book that came out um right as I was getting out of graduate school called still lives with whiskey bottle um which I just recently actually went back to that book and did a little reading from it at a workshop I was teaching and I wasn't quite um as ashamed as I thought I would be of the work it kind of stood up and uh, people were moved by it so but it's it's I think it's a lot different than what I'm doing now. Um, but there were some some nice moments.
0: Well that's that's kind of that's good to know, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. And that and where was the workshop? That obviously that wasn't at Go lightly. No, this right? was, the uh, life of the This was a private
2: body. workshop that a writer in Plymouth had put together, kind of an all-day uh, workshop where um, myself and Robert Fanning, a poet and Vive Francis, um, another Detroit poet, we were the facilitators.
0: Oh, that's great. Vivie will be coming Coming to the MFA program here in the fall. That's what it's I've heard. Shiny. Yeah, um, that's
2: terrific. I'm I'm real happy for. Her.
0: Yeah, it'll be good to good to and and happy for Michigan too. Definitely. Right <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, well, so I'm I'm curious because you said that you you moved to Trenton when you were young. Is is my geography um, sadly yeah. is poor? Is that um, not not for any reason except is there a river there? And there
2: is certainly a river. Um, <laughs> it's the Detroit River. And just to help you find yourself on the map, if you're in Detroit, uh, right downtown, like Hart Plaza or where the Renaissance buildings are, um, if you jumped into the to the river at that <laughs> point, which I don't suggest you do, um, but the, it'll flow down river right to Trenton. Um, and cause pretty much Trenton is the last point on the river map uh, before it turns out into Lake Erie.
0: Oh, okay. So we're kind
2: of at the bottom end of of the river.
0: Okay. Oh, that's oh, yeah, well, thank it's, you. It's, thank it's, you. It's,
2: it's very lovely there. It's uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm very drawn to that place is the river.
0: And well, and it's it's through it it's through all your stories. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I don't know if it's still figuring into the Bob, yeah, um, or or other.
2: Yeah. It's hard to shut it off. Um, uh, you know, Bob begins in a boat comma on a river comma lived a man. Um, and when that sentence came to me, I just knew I had a book there. Um, so it, for, for me, the river, the brothers, um, I, I, in order to kind of go to, into a different direction, I really have to kind of, clamp those words off right um after you know because i've been working on these brother stories that have been collected in these three books there's a fourth one that i've recently finished um you know for 10 years or so
0: i see oh so okay so the brothers (coughs) won't be in the the bob Bob, they appear
2: as kind of they they make a, a sort of a cameo appearance um they find a boat Um, that figures into this novel bob Mm -hmm. um the dead man's boat kind of floats down to the river and they kind of hike it and um uh, don't tell anyone and they they fish from it all summer and then eventually they kind of come clean and tell their dad that they found this boat and it it, it figures into the into the story. Okay, yeah.
0: well let's well Peter, let's take a short break, sure. and then when we come back, uh, will you read to us um, some from the singing fish I'd the love book, to. and we'll hear yeah. about the brothers up close? Definitely. Okay, we'll be right back. you're listening if you're just tuning in with us to the living writers show uh today peter marcus is here in the studio and he's going to he's agreed to read from the singing fish okay one of his books and um peter why uh do you want to tell us now why because you knew exactly what you wanted to read when Mm. i when i asked you
2: um i I think i want to read this opening story which kind of is it it introduces a, a, a central event um, that establishes the dramatic situation. I think it's a very conventional story. Uh, it's very plot-driven, and I'm often accused of not writing conventional stories that are plot-driven. So, so I like is. to read this one always, and I'll bring it into classes where I'm, I'm teaching uh, things like plot and other conventions and say, look, I'm really following that, that book, following that convention book. <laughs> which, of course, I, I, I encourage my students to uh, write away from convention. But, you know, sometimes stories do take a very straightforward uh, approach uh, in terms of the story that's told. I think that that's what's going on here. There's, you know, there's protagonists, there's an, an antagonist, there's the character's desire, there's sense of place, there's voice, I hope... Um, there's rising action, tension, all those kind of nice things that you kind of taught should be the elements in a short story. And I think this story has, uh, I think all of them and 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 maybe not all the (laughs) stories that follow do.
0: Right, right. And so, and it sounds like some people have given you a little guff for that. So, (laughs) (laughs) or something, so this is your, here you go. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I've had students kind of sometimes accuse me of being unconventional or, you know, plot for me, as I'll sometimes say, just kind of reminds me of cemeteries. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but this story, I think, has a, a real strong plot with a, uh, major dramatic question that's answered by the sequence oh don't events, okay, don't tell
0: know. us any more then <laughs> we'll just we'll just hear it, <laughs> but
2: hopefully th- there's something else that I'm paying more attention to than than plot and stories because that's what I'm hoping to achieve as a writer okay, so this is what the river told us to do, and I guess all you need to know is that there's two brothers in the story, you know a, a river, and they like to fish and uh There are people in their lives that don't love what they love quite as much. What the river told us to do. We watched our father hammer and pound into our front yard's ground a handmade sign that said in letters big enough for us brothers to read what it said all the way down from where we were watching down by the muddy river's muddy shore. House for sale. We'd seen signs like this sign before sticking up from the front yards of other people's houses but never in the front of ours. We knew what happened to those people who hammered those signs down into the ground in the fronts of their houses' front yards. After a while, those people with signs out in the fronts of their houses left away from our town and were soon replaced by new people who came to live on the insides of these kinds of houses. Us brothers, we did not want to be one of those people. We didn't want our house to be that kind of a house. Our house, we did not want it to be a house with anybody but us living inside it. But us brothers, we both knew that this, us living in some other house, in some other town, a town without a dirty river running through it, a town without so much mud and smoke and rust. This was what our mother said she wanted for the both of us. We'd heard her say to our father that it was either this house in this dirty river town or it was her that was leaving. Us, our mother's dirty boys, we listened up close. We hoped we might one night hear the sound of footsteps leaving, a door opening, then closing shut. Later on that day, when us brothers saw our father working on the making and the painting and the nailing together of that sign that said on it, House for Sale, we asked our father, what was he doing? Then, what was it the sign for? We stood by and watched our father's mouth move around to make such sounds as Mother and River and Town. We watched our father raise up his hand and point with his first finger to where the mill was sitting dark and quiet on the river's muddy shore. But us brothers, we didn't want our ears to hear what it was that our father was wanting us sons to hear. And our eyes, when we looked up river at the mill, it sitting silent and still, what we saw was the moon rising up, big and white and glowing the mill's rusted smokestacks holding it up. Us brothers said some words back to our father, words such as moon and mud and river and fish. But even these sounds, words that were the world to us brothers, these were just sounds that our father did not hear. We watched our father drop his head back down so that he could see his right hand holding his hammer. In his other hand, he held a handful of bent back nails. When our father did this with his hands, us brothers did this with ours. We each of us took the other one of us by the hand, and we went with each other down to the river to ask the river what should we, us brothers, do. When the river told us what to do, we both of us knew it was the only thing we could do. So that night while our mother and our father were both of them in their room with the lights in their room turned off for sleeping, what we did was we climbed out through our bedroom's window. Only the moon and the stars were watching us that night as we walked out to our father's tool shed and got out his hammers and a box full of his rusty, bent-back nails. We each of us brothers took up a fistful of nails and a hammer into each one of our hands and we walked out back to the back of our backyard back to where there was a telephone pole back there studded with the chopped off heads of fish brother I said to brother you can go first brother I told him give me your hand hold your hand up against this pole brother did just what I told we were brothers We were each other's voice inside our own heads this might sting i warned and then i raised back that hammer i drove that rusty nail right through brother's hand brother didn't even wince or flinch with his body or make with his boy mouth the sound of a brother crying out good brother i said I was hammering a second nail into brother's other hand when our father stepped out into the yard. Us, our father's sons, we turned back with our heads toward the sound of our father. We stood like this waiting to hear what it was that our father was going to say to us brothers next. It was a long few seconds. The sky above the river where the steel mill stood shipwrecked in the mud, It was dark and silent. Somewhere, I was sure, the sun was shining. You boys remember to clean up before you come back in, our father said to us then. Our father turned back his back. Us brothers turned back to face back each other. I raised back the hammer. I lined up that rusted nail.
0: Thank you, Peter. Thank you for for reading. Um, and so, well, what? When, when, when I was when I, I've read, I've read your books, and I'm thinking, um, they're 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 stories that are unto themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But then they're also, um, they're they're not they're also linked stories, so that they're forming like a, a progression within the book. They are. Could would you mind reading some of the titles of the chapters so that, um, that people could get a sense of
2: sure uh, um th- what the river told us to do when it rains it rains a river the singing fish uh, we eat mud fish heads boy who's an, a, another character in the stories um, there's the singing fish revisited where there's mud only when it rains boy revisited the fish that walked on water mud soup boy revisited fish heads revisited Um, so there's a lot of kind of things that I keep going back to in these stories there's scenes that recur um, there's characters that seemingly might disappear but then they come back Um, there's characters that are pushed away deliberately Um, But then, eventually, in another collection, will 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 show themselves up a little bit more um, with more weight.
0: How for like just as a specific example, how how is that meant to work then? If one in one story, the father character departs, Mm -hmm. and then in the next story, um, there's no mention that he returns, but he walks out of the house and says. Make sure to wash up before you come in. So is there a function in that or is that just showing us that these it's not it's not a linear progression yeah, through the store, the book?
2: Yeah, there's definitely no, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened. It's just kind of I guess it would be I don't want to sound too preposterous, but it's, you know, sort of a cubist approach maybe or um uh, it's just, the, so, way, I, I just I, the way I just the way that I assemble the, the 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 books when I do sit down and say okay I'm gonna publish a book called the Singing Fish or I've got interest in someone wanting to do that and then I'll kind of there are so many of these stories in a box that it's just you know what I start doing is just kind of lining them up or I, really I just kind of scatter them across the floor in my basement and then just kind of try to find you know. Not necessarily echoes, but even tensions, things that almost contradict themselves, I guess you know, so the father disappears, but then he shows back, shows back up, um which probably wouldn't happen in a conventional novel because you know the reader would say, "Well, I thought he was just you know he just walked out into the river, and now he's walking out the back door, right, so um, I guess I'm just trying to create some sort of you know to me, it's all about creating some illusion. Um, and maybe it's some has something to do with uh, the way that the brothers even kind of make sense of, of what's going on during these events. Um, and I guess it has something to do with memory and the way that we do remember things. So everything's a little slippery and um, um, I don't know what the word would be when, you know, kind of uh, un, not un... Uh, when your first person narrator is not necessarily reliable. So unreliability is is something I think that's going on here too.
0: Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about this when we come back from break, Peter. Um, You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. We'll be right back. listening to The Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel and today in the studio, Peter Marcus. Um, So Peter, you had uh, something to say about Elliot Smith. Uh,
2: I love that song and um, he's he's someone that I never actually saw live. I kind of got turned on to him late and regret never seeing him uh, so I've been kind of just really the past month or so I've been like spending hours on YouTube watching the, all these, these great videos that people have been good enough to post. And, um, you know, he was a, to me a huge, huge loss. Yes. And I just love his stuff.
0: And that YouTube, it can really, cause it's just, um, constantly, um, connecting to other yeah. <laughs> other oh, tracks to go down right
2: if, if i if i fail to meet any kind of deadline on this novel i've got coming out or work or if i disappear don't smith don't and do my household chores it's because of elliot smith
0: <laughs> and the conduit youtube yeah. <laughs> many of us fall down that one well um so so that's kind of a good an interesting um the thing that you mentioned, Peter, because that's kind of obsessional in a way, like watching all of the Elliot Smith that you can uh, get your eyes on, and um, and right. and there's people have said um, like the like blurbs on the back of your book and different, um, and it's just I guess it doesn't you don't even have to read a blurb on the the book jacket to know that there's there's reoccurring moments in the book and mm-hmm. there's ideas that you're ob- obsessed with returning to, and um, and so there's the one where the brothers go out to the the back of the backyard where there's the fish pole Mm -hmm. and they nail their, usually their hands, the brother's hands. Could you talk a little bit about this image? Oh, of of course.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Obsession to me is, I mean, I'm nothing if, if not obsessed with many things, you know, beginning with language, of course, and these brothers who have stayed with me for over a decade now. Um, and then that, you know, I don't think I'm a very good storyteller. Um, in any kind of traditional sense. But I think that scene, and when I wrote that story uh, as it first occurred, where they, you know, they're, they're presented with this problem of uh, their parents basically saying, we're going to upro- uproot you from this town, and uh, they don't want to leave. And uh, I remember writing that story, and I've actually written a little essay about the, the process that, where that story took me. Uh, As I think all stories do kind of take over and then take you where they want to go. Um, But I had that, you know, the situation was established, um, you know, but the brothers don't, they don't know what they're going to do. And then they look outside and um, just the same way that I was looking backwards into the story to try to try to kind of spool something out from what had already occurred in the story. And they saw this backyard image of this fish headed telephone pole. Um, you know, with all these fish that they had caught from the river and cut off the heads and lovingly named and uh, and nailed each and of nailed the heads each, to the pole. Each of these okay. fish heads to the to the pole, and you know the fish kind of respond to them. Or in the story that I read, that version, it's the river that tells them this is what they're supposed to do. In another version, it's the fish themselves who are speaking to the brothers. Um, but it just made sense that they nailed the fish which you know which they love to this pole well that's one way that they're going to be able to articulate how much of a desire they have to stay put and so um you know that scene I, i i think it was for me as a writer writing these stories for the first time and coming upon that moment you know i just knew it was a juicy story right there and um i just you know like I said, I, I don't think I come up with that many great moments uh, in a story. But that one just seemed huge and mythic and uh, had a lot of different, uh, you know, suggestives. You know, lots lots of it resonates, on a, on, I think, on a, a number of levels. Um, so I just kind of said, well, I'm going to try to arrive at that place through different Uh, avenues so a a number of the stories do end at that backyard scene and sometimes the one brother's taking the nail um another time the other brother's taking the nail sometimes they're hammering boy to that pole uh or the father the father father involved is involved he he hammers them um so it's just you know that i just thought that was a great moment uh that i had arrived at and um you know, so I just kind of wanted to squeeze as much material out of it as I could. And I guess what it, it makes me think of is um, I, I went when I was um, a kid, yeah, my parent, like I said I'm kind of the, the second generation within my, my, my family tree. Um, by, t- by the time I came around, my parents um, you know weren't forcing us to go to church, but we would go you know, maybe every month. And we went to a church in Detroit that was a Greek Orthodox church and all the masses in, in Greek mm. and there's incense and it's beautiful. And I don't know any Greek. And I'd go there once a month. And of course, on Christmas and Easter. And I was always, you know, reading the Bible as a way of kind of because the Bible was available in English. Mm. Um,
0: it sounds magical, though, as you describe it.
2: I mean, what was magical was just the sounds of this priest in this very ornate robe chanting and it was a very it was like it was it was like every time I'd walk in it was entering into a hallucination but I always had these certain stories that I knew I didn't know the bible very well you know I didn't go to bible study or things like that but I knew the story about Jesus how he was born in this manger and how he died on this cross and those stories were kind of hammered in <laughs> to my, yeah. to our mythology. Yes. Um, and I, you know, so I think I'm kind of hammering in this version of that s- similar story.
0: Yeah. And using um, the symbols of yeah, it quite literally yeah, then, right? Yeah, definitely. And yeah. It's so interesting that you say the phrase, even Peter entering into a hallucination, because that's what, for me, at least it's like the experience of reading these, these linked books yeah, on the stories. Um, And, 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 um, actually it makes me uh, think of when you were saying the chanting that the priest was Mm -hmm. doing, it seems like that's what's at work in your, your short fictions as well, because there's, I even looked at, cause the, the word incantation kept Mm -hmm. coming because moments, it's not just returning to that scene with the, the, um, the, the, the pole with the fish heads on it in the backyard, um, which is more like, like an electric, like um like one of the poles that you'd hang the electrical wires right exactly Not like a fishing pole just right. in case people were yeah, in it's a, one like of those a, big a wooden pole wooden, right? wooden poles like a th- okay exactly but but then when you're returning to that scene with the the same um the characters um and and you're you're always um. It, it, uh, invoking the river and mm-hmm. the mud mm-hmm. and the mill and and mm-hmm. so there's and, and so it's almost like every piece is almost making a cameo and the and the mm-hmm. and the mill is referred to as it's shipwrecked right. on the hill and it, and that's not once but it's recurring throughout both both the good brother and the singing fish. Yeah. It's these interesting. Mo- so it's like there's this incantation at work. So I thought, why does that keep coming up? So I looked it up. So we mm. had the exact definition, the chanting or uttering of words purporting to have magical power. And then the second yeah. one, the formula employed.
2: Yeah. But, I mean, it, the words to me, I mean, this, these stories, these obsessions, with these brothers began not with the character of these two brothers but just with the word brother um and i can tell you a little bit about that my uh when my wife was uh pregnant with my son is really when i began these stories and we had a at the time a a 2-year-old uh little girl helena and i was kind of freaking out like oh my god how can i divide my love you know with this new person that's going to be in our lives. And we knew it was a boy. So I said to myself, well, the one way to kind of, you know, we really needed to include my daughter into this pregnancy. And so we always just started referring to what was inside my wife's belly as a brother. And that was really that word, which I don't, like you said, everyone assumes I have a brother. I don't. Um, But the word itself, which is not a word that really was a part of my growing up other than I was a brother and am a brother but uh, I didn't have one but it just became it became a a very kind of an incant an incantation nightly we would just kind of gather around this growing belly like it was a magic lantern and rub it and speak to it and uh, brother this brother that and uh, that really the stories began there and And then other words kind of you know once I had that word you know then you know i i just love certain words mud fish river they just became mantra words for me and i kind of put them together and a landscape appeared and then eventually some of the you know the the dramatic elements of of the narrative act kind of grew out of those words but for me it's always it always begins with the with the word uh, even this new novel begins with the word boat you know it it's bob or man on boat and boat became the kind of mantra word of course it kind of linked up a boat is on a river who's on the river bob and then bob is the mantra word in this in this new book
0: which is a novel it's, which it is. It's, it's, it's at least that's on the <coughs> which i wondered how is it going from um, like in in the just nuts and bolts way peter going from writing these short fictions that aren't even like supposed to be uh like a like a a a, a book they're they're supposed to be separate right and then going launching Mm -hmm. right to the novel like writing in that different form yeah
2: um it, it felt like i was just writing a very long story because i really once i had the opening sentence in a boat on a river lived a man bob um it really just kind of pulled me under and i disappeared from everything for about six weeks and pretty much kicked out a draft um you know nightly I I would stay up very late that's when I was really when I'm these last few manuscripts that I've been working on and there've been a couple nonfiction things and they always happen in quick bursts and then I might not have anything going um for a while but when they take me they take me under I'm submerged and uh, so it didn't feel that much different uh that much different um Um, You know, and now I'm kind of going over it, uh, over it kind of syllable by syllable. And uh, that's the fun part for me too. Um, Not so much the story elements of trying to, bring out certain elements of the story, but just tinkering with it on a line by line basis is, is tons of fun for me.
0: Right. And so like you said, it, syllable, syllable by syllable, by syllable, syllable yeah, it really it, it is It can apparent. drive
2: you crazy, but you know, sometimes a sentence needs to end with a preposition and sometimes that comma needs to be in there, even though it looks funny. And so, you know, th- and you start t- having to deal with your editor, who's always someone that has blessed you with saying, okay, we're going to make this into a book you know, then you kind of have to that hard battle between what stays and what goes and where that comma should be. And, you know,
0: but that seems more that sounds typical of a poet or someone who's right working very short like you have in the past. Mm. But it's interesting that you're bringing that intensity um, and microscopic yeah. <laughs> attention. It's not that, to that the long novel.
2: of a novel. Oh, it's so. not. OK. <laughs> it's only about 150 pages. Okay. So uh you know if it was if I could i don't know if I could bring that sort of attention, I hope I would be able to to something you know a hundred thousand words long uh, we'll see
0: right, right well, okay, well let's take a break and and we'll be back with Peter Marcus.
1: I'm much too fast to take that test. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Turn and face the strange changes. Don't wanna be a richer man. Sides, but never leave the stream of warm permanent sand. So the days float through my eyes, but still the days seem the same. And these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultation. They're quite aware of what they're going through.
0: You're listening to the Living Writers show. Uh, today Peter Marcus is in the studio. Uh, and and Peter's gonna has a, an anecdote for us well,
2: you, your the choice of music is right on because um, I mean from the Elliott Smith to um, the, this David Bowie. Um, David Bowie was, I mean, I remember when I was, like I said, I've got two older sisters who back in 1973 when Ziggy Stardust came out, um, you know, I was what, six years old and they used to, uh, kind of dress me up like Bowie and put makeup on me and make me sing uh, <laughs> spiders from my Mar- uh, S- uh Starman was the song I loved I don't think I could sing it right now you but, could try uh,
0: <laughs> there's always there's a singing a star
2: portion. Man living in the sky so that you know that was uh, <laughs> Bowie was big and I another I remember um, and I, I say this oftentimes during readings um You know, when I'm trying to gather people in close up front, you know, I always try to say that I uh, I'll try not to uh, spit on anybody. But I I do remember when (laughs) uh, my my middle sister uh, saw David Bowie when she was young and got way up front and um, was actually spit on by Bowie and uh, you know for her that was the world to her you know I mean she came home David Bowie spit on you know I've got David Bowie spit on me Oh, uh, well, to be a rock star
0: exa- or, or, or a, or a- a writer a poet uh yeah going because you do lots of readings around town, right peter that's I part of your, your
2: i enjoy doing readings, so i have a hard time saying no i mean that's where we saw each other in chicago at one point i remember
0: yes last uh, last summer it was for yeah. the acm poetry yeah. foundation yeah Roo-ha-ha. that was terrific <laughs> yes
2: yeah, so i i do like to to read and um Will you know? Do so usually when anyone invites me.
0: <laughs> well, then we'll keep that in mind. You have to come back to, to town soon. Then, do you have any readings coming up in Ann Arbor that you, or Detroit that you'd want to mention? I don't think I have any. I
2: just right I had now? one uh, a couple weeks ago, and nothing really lined up uh, as far as I as far as I know. Okay, all right. So hopefully, when this new book hits next um, summer slash fall, we're gonna hopefully do something. Okay. Uh, which is scary to me uh, because. Uh, I don't. One thing with this this novel is, and I've never read from the novel, even though I've kind of had it in the can for um, a couple years now. And people have heard me talk about it, and I'm pleased with it, but I just don't know how to say the sentences. They're they're rhythmically, the cadences are entirely different than the more kind of rivery sentences of these brother stories. So I'm almost afraid for the utterance, and I don't know. It's almost like my my tongue is a muscle that doesn't yet know how to perform for those particular words, so I'm going to have to learn. Yeah, and I think once the the book's in book form, then it'll force me to to read it, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to uh, find find the speech for it.
0: Mm. And I wonder if then once you once you um, have those utterances, if that will become sort of the new rhythm for you for a while, so that the brothers. Almost will be uh, like kind of fade in, yeah, you in a way. Know. Yeah. I don't, and did you ever envision that it would be um like this? The brothers would be with you for for a decade, more than a decade.
2: No, I mean I really thought you know I had written the one story and you know I thought that may be it at the time when I you know kind of hit that last period and hammered in that nail. But then they you know it was kind of they took over and. Um, you know, like any great obsession, they just kind of stuck with you. And um, I really, in order to write Bob, I had to really tune them out. Um, and and I, the
0: rhythms, and the rhythms, how interesting. It was,
2: it was difficult, and it's, you know, I've, you know, they're still with me. I mean, I'm, I still generate new pieces, and there's a new manuscript of Brothers' Stories called We Make Mud. Um, so I'm very happy with it. I think it's even. I like the direction that it's taken. So we'll
0: have to take a look for that. We'll call him. Yeah, I
2: I haven't sent that one out. I'm I'm kind of hoping with this Bob book that you know that might get some uh, attention that maybe I haven't gotten. um, You know before and who knows
0: yeah and there's still a river in the bob book there's so you might have some sort of yeah. in with the, the motion of the language well let's talk about language then because okay. you've mentioned the syllables and the and you're 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 in you uh, and the utterance and the and and so the close close attention to language um and and so the, and there's movement in it and it mm-hmm. seems like there's a sense of um the possibility and strangeness mm-hmm. and and that kind of leads me to think of play, like the aspect mm-hmm. of when you are creating these this, these structures and these interchanging pieces. Can you can yeah, you speak I, you know to me that, writing
2: play? is is should be very a playful act, and um, you know, I mean, even the boys or the brothers have taught me that. I think you know they play in the mud. Or, you know, when they don't know what else to do, they go down to the river. Pretty much how I just kind of took those words and really started making from them. Um, the same way that they make girl out of the mud. And um, and they know, make
0: a tongue for boy. They're always know, creating they're, the mud.
2: There's a lot of uh, creations going on. I think they've kind of created their own vision of the world and, um, you know, things that maybe um, happen, you know, when you nail your hand to a pole or your brother's hand, you know, t- I guess the way that that would play out realistically is, you know, it would hurt. Uh, you know, he'd have to go to the hospital and get a tetanus this shot. This never
0: happens in these books. It's you know, like violence, but it's violence without uh, repercussions, yeah, really. I think, I
2: think it's, it's meant to be tender. And, yes. um, um, and the, you know, and I think the brothers kind of do it out of love and sacrifice and things like that. Um, but there, you know, to me it's, it, I, and I, maybe I've learned that from being a dad and not to kind of take, um, things quite so seriously as maybe I did when I was writing different stories and I think through kind of playfulness and um, I think I've arrived at something that is still serious fiction Definitely. Um, but you know you you kind of learn that from having your kids and working you know, like I do still with second and third graders you know you have to engage them into writing the way that you would engage them into the playground, you know, and let's have fun and tell them stories, and then just kind of really, um, you know, entertain them um, and be entertained uh, through that process. And so these stories to me are very entertaining, and uh, I can't say that for much of the fiction I wrote when I was a, you know, when I was here at Michigan, which were, you know, writing stories that were probably really crummy and even <laughs> in in graduate school um, you know I was publishing stories even in graduate school but they I don't know who that person is because he he took it too seriously and he took the craft too seriously and just learned it as a craft and I think what's happened now is I've kind of opened myself up to language and not necessarily story and maybe have subverted certain of the conventions um, and hopefully and I think I've arrived at something that I'm certainly pleased with and entertained by and it's very playful I, I you know I, I, I think I can read these stories and I do um, to children and they do kind of tap into that incantatory uh, way that the story is told um, and the writers that really do it for me you know have that sense of of uh, playful disruption is the way I like to almost um call it that right um you know writers like you know Beckett or Stein or um you know it's just writer Gary Lutz who I think is terrific and everything that he does is just it begins with how you know not necessarily with uh telling a story even though there's characters involved but it's always just on this sentence or this lingual level that everything has arrived through that. And so for me, everything begins with the word. um, And you kind of just let, you know.
0: Whether it's brother or Bob. (laughs) Brother,
2: Bob, or, you know, I'm working on a new manuscript that, um, you know, deliberately kind of to to tune out, again, the brothers in the river. I'm kind of, I mean, here I'm letting a, a cat out of the bag, but I'm trying to write a book that is made up entirely of monosyllabic words okay. so that I could not set it on a river and right. I couldn't have the brothers present. Um, so that's been a lot of fun, oh, and that again, that, that again, that restriction again is very playful. Don't do this,
0: and, <laughs> right, um, right? But it's it's allowing um, what you've what you've got uh, at work here. Then is like an opening for the subconscious on some level. I think that's, that's how what this happens. is. And and yeah. do you think that this is something that no, like as you're moving in 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 other directions as well? Do you think you'll be still creating like these these mythologies within the work? Like each one will become its own
2: i'm ho- I certainly hope so. I think the new this, uh, Bob is certainly its own you know it's he's his own world um the river that he navigates is its own world. what um, does it
0: mean to you then to be and like and what does it I don't know like how is it something that you're always doing like what does it take to make up like this sort of uh, this this mythic these creation stories? not
2: that much because it's really i you know the river is just you know, the word the river to me, I, it immediately anchors me to a place that I'm very familiar with. Um, and I don't know if I'm that good of a writer who describes the river that I'm actually, you know, if I took you down to the river and said, well, this is where the brothers go down to, it probably would, there's, there would be the mill shipwrecked in the, in the mud. There would be the river, of course, but you know, I don't, but this I'm, I'm seems not,
0: like an imaginative place. I didn't think it was necessarily the Detroit River and that yeah. it's super muddy. I just I thought that that was like there must have there's something that's close to your heart, but yeah, the, the then the rest is, is imaginative. You know,
2: again, it's not the actual river; it's its own river. And um, to me, I'm not I'm not I'm not interested as a writer, even as a reader, in you know reports about a world that already exists. I'm really interested in. You know, sentences and writers who create situations, if that's their approach to doing it, that kind of swallow me entirely in, uh, in that particular place or that particular landscape, whether or not it's lingual or, you know, physical. um, You know, a writer has to bring a world to it, to the page. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. It's not necessarily the world of South of Detroit um but people who know that I live there and know that a river runs through this town, they see certain resemblances, but I, I like to think that the, the, that there's a world in this book that is its own world.
0: Well I, I believe there is cool. Peter. Peter, thank you for, for being with us today oh, on the Living it's Writers been, it's Show. Been, it's been great fun. And um and I'm uh, interested to see what this this monosyllabic project and and Bob um a man in the boat. And uh, well, I guess we'll uh, Thanks for listening, Ann Arbor. Thanks to Chaz Barrett, uh, our great, wonderful, spectacular engineer. Um, thanks to those streaming in uh, Hope Sound, Florida, Tacoma, Washington, and elsewhere. Um, you've been listening to the Living Writers Show. Uh, until next time.
1: How can it be You can rest everybody, But cruel stagger me. That bad man Oh cruel stagger me There's line told stagger me, Please don't take my life I got you two little babes and a darling loving wife, that bad man, oh cruel daily mm-hmm. What I care about you two little babies, darling loving wife. You done stole my stuff and had I'm bound to take your life, that bad. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, August 1st,
2: 2007. Sitting in for Bogado, I'm Mitch Cheserich at Pacifica Station WBAI in New York. Former Defense Secretary Donald Brumsfeld returns to Capitol Hill to testify on the Pentagon's handling of the death of Pat Tillman. The FCC sets new rules on how public airwaves will be auctioned off. And we take a look at immigrant detention abuses. All this and more after
1: these news headlines.
0: I'm Sharon Young with today's headlines. The United Nations Security Council has unanimously authorized a joint force of 26,000 United Nations and African Union troops for peacekeeping operations in Sudan's war-torn Darfur region. The first troops with the hybrid force are due to arrive in October to relieve the 7,000 African Union troops already on the ground. Once it comes into full force, it will...